Several people reminded me this morning that it was Pearl Harbor Day. Okay, there. I'll talk for a few minutes while they get me adjusted. So, uh, happy Pearl Harbor Day. Again, I think uh, President uh, made the announcement that this would be a day that would go down in infamy. I think a day of regret in Japan, but a day of infamy in the United States. Uh, so, we just recognize that. It was actually a Sunday morning uh, about this time that all the events in Pearl Harbor uh, went down at that time. There's a line in the, in the Christmas carol, um, Joy to the World. And there's a line in there that says, let every heart prepare him room. And I think it kind of, again, ties into a little bit about what Pastor Jim was uh, talking about, you know, just not just resting, but enjoying. And, and that's part of that process of preparing in our hearts room for him. And so, okay, I'm not, it's not on. Okay, we're good. Okay, again, as you saw in the video, kind of our tendency is to begin to kind of add all of the to-do things to the resting and enjoying kind of that abiding uh, in God's presence and just allowing our hearts to prepare for him. And again, it just always kind of tends to get crowded out. It gets sidelined. We get distracted. And every year, it just seems like it becomes more and more challenging to take the time we need in order to prepare our hearts and lives for him. So again, I think uh, Jim's uh, counsel uh, is good counsel this morning. Just Make sure this Christmas season that you're taking time to rest, to enjoy, to abide, and again, just uh, making Christ a bigger and bigger part of your Christmas. It was William Shakespeare who once asked kind of this seemingly irrelevant question, what is in a name? That's, that's a great question. See, in the culture in which Jesus was born into, where God took on human flesh and became a man, names had enormous significance. As a matter of fact, in Mary and Joseph's day, newborn or expectant parents would often kind of reflect, they would meditate, they would pray for months over what to name the baby because they wanted the name to mean something, to represent something. In other words, the name that would be given to the child would almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy of what the parents hoped, dreamed this child would one day grow to become. Now there's a great example of this in the Old Testament. In Genesis 35, Rachel, who is the wife of Jacob, is in the process of giving birth to a child. Now immediately following the birth of the child, we don't know exactly what happened, but Rachel is dying. And she knows it. And I'm sure in what is an overwhelming, confusing, stressful um, shock and confusion, she names the child Benoni, which means child of my sorrow. 
So this is what she names the child as she's giving birth in the process of dying. I name you Benoni. And I think a lot of that name comes out of her own grief, her confusion, her shock as to what is happening. So in essence, Rachel kind of in a sense passes on her sorrow, her grief, onto this child by calling him Benoni, son of my sorrow, so that for all of the days of his life, that child would be known as the bringer of sorrow. Now Jacob, the father of this child, this baby, hears what Rachel has named the child, and he immediately st- in and he says, no, no, I unname you Benoni, I rename you Benjamin, which in the Hebrew meant son of my right hand. Now, why did Jacob do this? Because he understood the significance, the importance, the relevance of names. And he knew that names were used often to shape the destiny, the future the personality, the characteristics of the child. Again, to you and me, Benoni, it's just a name. But in the Hebrew culture, that name meant, and it said, child of my sorrow. So again, as this child would grow up, every time his name would be called, son of sorrow, time for dinner. Son of sorrow, Go clean your room. I mean, every time the neighborhood kids would come over and knock on the door and say, can son of my sorrow come out to play? And Jacob understood. He understood that this child hearing that over and over and over would begin to affect, to alter his destiny, the future, the personality, the characteristics of that child. And that name, in a sense, would become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The life of this child would forever be associated and attached to sorrow, grief of some kind. That was the mindset of parents in the Hebrew culture of that time in Jesus' day. The name chosen by the parents was their prayer. It was their hope. It was their prophecy of what that child would become. I don't think it's a coincidence that Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, has his ability to speak restored when it came to the naming of his son. You may remember that Zacharias was chosen uh, for the priestly duties to be the high priest that represented the nation of Israel in the Holy of Holies. As he is there in the Holy of Holies performing his priestly duties, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appears to him and tells him that his prayers have been heard. Now that's interesting. The angel says your prayers have been heard, so apparently what he was praying for was that his wife would conceive, and the angel says your prayers have been heard. Elizabeth is going to bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now Zacharias begins to argue with Gabriel, saying that both of them are too old, and because of his unbelief, Zacharias is unable to speak. 
When the baby is born, the family kind of gathers, as was tradition in those days, to hear what this child was going to be called. Everybody there, aunts and uncles and cousins and neighbors, just naturally assumed this child is going to be called Zacharias, named after his father, Zacharias. And it is then that Zacharias writes the name John on the tablet. And they see that name John on the tablet and they begin to wonder, where'd that name come from? There's nobody in our family. There's no one in our family tree named John. And so they begin to kind of question Zacharias' choice. And it's then that the Spirit of God releases his ability to speak. And the first words out of his mouth was, this child is named John. Names were of paramount importance and significance in those days. See, names today to us really don't mean the same thing. Have you ever thought about some of the most common names in America today? For example, there are thousands and thousands of John Smiths in America. It's a great name, but it's also a very common name. So common, as a matter of fact, that they have what is called a Jim Smith's Club in America. And there's over 50,000 people registered. There is a Facebook page that is called the John Smith Society. And all you have to do to be a part of that society is have the name John Smith. As a matter of fact, they gather every year out in Las Vegas. And one of the highlights of the Jim Smith convention is a softball game in which everybody participating is named John Smith. Even the umpires are named John Smith. So they get a big kick out of every time the batter walks up to the plate. Now entering the plate is John Smith. I mean, Every batter is John Smith. I mean, every MVP is John Smith. Even publicity agents of Hollywood, movie stars, realize the importance of a great name. Through the years, many of the Hollywood stars have not kept the names that they were given at the time of birth. For example, consider the name Fred Astaire. Sounds like a great Hollywood name, but it's just a stage name. His original name was Frederick Austerlitz. Jack Benny's name was Benjamin Kobleski. Tony Curtis is the stage name for Bernard Schwartz. And when Doris Day was born, her name was Doris Van Kloppelhoff. Kirk Douglas's name was Isher Danielvich Dmeski. How many of you would like to know the real name of John Wayne? Marion Michael Morrison. Marion doesn't sound so tough, does it? 800 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah made a prophecy, a prediction, one day about the long-awaited coming Messiah. And Isaiah found there in chapter 9, he said, the Messiah is coming one day. And when he comes, he will be born and his name shall be. Now I'll guarantee you when Isaiah wrote or spoke those words, and his name shall be, everyone and everything grew still and quiet because names were a huge deal, because names 
would reveal and tell us something about the future, the destiny, the qualities, the characteristics of the person, and in, in this instance, the coming Messiah. And so he records those names there in Isaiah 9, chapter 6, and he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now I have to admit something to you. For years and years, And I just recently heard someone talk about this very scripture. They'll talk about Isaiah. They'll preach about it in this way. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What I did not know in the Hebrew, and this is accurately translated in the King James Version, the words Wonderful Counselor are two separate words. It's not Wonderful Counselor. It is Two completely separate names. Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. So for the next several weeks, we're going to kind of look at some of these names of Christmas. Because in these names, Isaiah is telling us something about the person, the Messiah. So the first name I want to look at is that name, Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. We use that word a lot. It's a great word. He's wonderful. She's wonderful. They did a wonderful job. We use that word a lot. The etymology of that word, Wonderful, are the two words, Wonder and Full. So another way of thinking or using Wonderful is Full of Wonder. Part of what makes something or someone wonderful is that they are full of wonder. Do you know what the Hebrew meaning for the word wonderful is? Miracle. Miraculous. Isaiah 9, 6 could be rightly translated there saying, and his name shall be called Miracle. Miraculous. Not Marion like John Wayne but miraculous, miracle. I'd say Jesus lived up to that, didn't he? We clearly see the wonder. We see the miraculous in Jesus' conception, in his birth. We see it in his life. We see it in his resurrection from the dead. His conception, his birth was a miracle. It was full of wonder. It was wonderful. Luke 1 records that Miracle of his birth, and the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Now, theologians have referred to that as the Immaculate Conception, meaning it is the first and only time in all of human history where a woman would conceive a child without the seed of a human man. Theologians may call it the Immaculate Conception, the virgin birth. 
where you and I, we look at that and say, that is miraculous, that is a miracle. That child that would be born, that son that would be given, would be done in a way that was miraculous. It's a calling card. God's identifying for us in very clear terms. You want a sign? You want a signal that this is the Messiah, that this is the Son of God? I'll bring him forth in a miraculous, unique, one-of-a-kind way. There'll never, ever be another man that will enter the human race like this one. That's miraculous. It's so that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the one. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. When Jesus was born, that means the infinite God became an infant human being. It means the creator became a creature. God in a cradle. His name shall be called Wonderful, Miraculous, because his life beginning with his conception was full of wonder, filled with the miraculous. So there again is that miraculous surrounding the conception and birth of Christ. And not only was his conception, not only was his birth full of wonder, his life, his ministry, even though it's just three and a half year window of his life, it was full of wonder, full of the miraculous as well. You clearly get this sense of wonder throughout the scriptures, but there's one place where where I just feel it particularly strong. And it's in the miraculous response that Jesus gives to John the Baptist's delegation that was sent to him there in Luke 7. At this point in John's life and ministry, John has been put in prison And John is hearing reports and and witnesses of all of the miraculous, the wonder, the awe of what Jesus is doing. And so John sends two or a few of his disciples to Jesus. And he says, I want you to go find him, ask him this question, are you the expected one? Or do we look for another? Notice what verse 21 says before Jesus responds to the question. He said, at that time, at that very moment, this delegation sent by John comes to Jesus and says, "Uh, excuse me, are you the one or do we look for another? Jesus is like, just a second. At that moment very moment, the same time the question comes forth, the delegation approaches Jesus. Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many who were blind. I'm reading that this week, and for the first time, I kind of caught that at that very time. Jesus, before he even attempts to respond to the question, he seems to say, watch this. Then Jesus begins to just heal many people of diseases, afflictions. I would imagine there were people there with leprosy that they were able to see. And and in that moment, 
all of a sudden, the leprosy, which was so evident, is all of a sudden gone. People who are groping in darkness, blind, suddenly see the lame who are laying around Jesus, suddenly are getting up and walking for the first time. He's driving out evil spirits. All of this is happening at that very time those disciples of John's came to Jesus with the question, are you the one or do we look for another? Give us some evidence here that you are that one so we can go back and tell John. And then verse 22, following verse 21 Jesus says, go and report to John what you have seen, what you have seen, what you have seen, and heard. What did they see? People healed of diseases and afflictions, evil spirits driven out and sight given to people who were blind, just restoration to those who were lame. So he says, go and report to John everything you have just seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Put yourself in that moment Can you imagine the sense of awe you would feel? How filled with wonder you would be as you saw and heard what they saw and heard. That is the miraculous. That's why he's called wonderful. Here's how you'll know he's the Messiah. Here's how you'll know he's the son of God. He's going to be filled with wonder, filled with the miraculous. Through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, the sick were healed, the blind saw, the lame walked, the mute spoke, the dead were raised to life. And throughout his ministry, people marveled. They stood in awe over his authority, over the demonic and nature, they were amazed at his wisdom, his authority by which he taught the scriptures, the simplicity of his teachings. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And they were humbled and they were challenged by his not coming to be served, but coming to be a servant and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. They were humbled by that. And by his obedience to the point he would lay down his life and allow his blood to be shed so we could be forgiven, that we could receive eternal life. All of this is just a part of the miraculous, the wonder of Jesus the Messiah. Isaiah 25 verse 1 kind of attempts to capture and to kind of further illuminate this miraculous, wonderful Messiah who would be born. He said, oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful. There again, that word, miraculous things. The multitudes were constantly amazed 
and they were giving God glory and praise at the miraculous, wonderful things that Jesus did and said. And Jesus was confirming to them. He is confirming to us. He was sent of the Father, came to reveal the true nature of the Father and his kingdom and to give his life for the salvation of the world. So you see the miraculous in his conception and his birth. You see the miraculous in his life and in his ministry. But you also find the miraculous in his resurrection from the dead. Until Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, no human being since the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden has overcome death in such a way that death was no longer a possibility. This was unique to Jesus and Jesus only. Are, are you having trouble confirming it in the virgin birth? Are, are you having trouble seeing it, understanding, confirming it in my life and my ministry? Let me give you one more and it should clear everything up. I'm gonna do something else no man has ever done before. I'm gonna die, and three days later, I'm gonna be raised from the dead, and I'm gonna come out of that tomb with an existence in which death can no longer touch me. That was unique to Jesus. That was part of the wonder, part of the miraculous. And not only does Jesus miraculously overcome death and lives forever, but he also is able to take and extend that resurrection life to include those of us who have put our faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. Are you beginning to see what Isaiah was preparing the people's hearts for when he said, and unto us a child is born, a son will be given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, full of wonder, miraculous. Now often our response to this wonderful and miraculous is sometimes we want to try to explain it away. Or at least we want to try to, you know, deflate the sense of wonder. Sometimes our our, our tendency is to try to make it less miraculous We recently, several weeks ago, we were talking about the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus uh, took two fish, five loaves, and he kind of just multiplied it exponentially to feed the multitude of 5,000 men plus women and children. I've heard people explain the wonder of the miracle away by saying many people in the crowd that day had fish and bread with them. And when they saw the young boy just freely offer up his two fish, his five loaves, it caused everyone else to be moved to do the same thing. And they began to bring forth the bread and the fish that they had secretly hidden away. And voila, the miracle kind of becomes nothing more than a great lesson on sharing what you have with others. That's our tendency sometimes. Oh, Jesus didn't walk on the water. He just kind of knew where the rocks were. You know, I mean, we say jokes like that. But again, it's all to try to kind of explain a way to kind of demystify the wonder, the miraculous. Don't do that. I believe as Jesus blessed that food, that's all they had. Five loaves, two fish. 
And I believe as he blessed that, he just miraculously multiplied enough to feed the thousands who have gathered. I mean, we see places in scripture where Jesus heals people and witnesses of the healing would look beyond the wonder of the miracle and they would use it to kind of accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath or or there was times where they would credit his ability, his power, and they would say, oh, that is just the power of the devil working in him. Others would witness that same healing and they would be just filled with this sense of wonder and awe and it would just inspire them to give praise and thanks and glory to God. Jesus was full of wonder for this very reason. Jesus wanted people to know God loves you, that he's for you. He wants to bless your life with good things. And so Jesus would often do miracles and wonders as a way to just usher people in to the presence of his heavenly father, to reveal the true heart of the father towards them. And Jesus longs to do that even today. So when God is moving in your life in miraculous ways, embrace the wonder. Be filled with that awe and that sense of the miraculous of how God is manifesting his love over your life. Don't try to discount it. Don't try to explain it away. Don't try to minimize it. Rather embrace it and respond to the wonder by giving him glory and praise. Lastly, perhaps the greatest wonder and miracle of all is the wonder, the miracle of salvation. Ephesians 1.5 says this. Here's what Paul says. His being God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt you and I into his own family by bringing us, by drawing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's always been God's plan before the foundations of the world were ever spoke into existence. God had an immutable, unchangeable, unalterable plan, and that was for him to bring you and I into his family through his son, Jesus Christ. Now we know sin disrupted that plan. But because God's plan and God's ways are unchangeable, he also had a plan that would remove the barrier of sin. And that plan, in part, was for God to become a human being. And that is part of what the Christmas story is all about. So let me just summarize the Bible for you in about five sentences. You were created. You were created, you were put here on this earth for the very purpose, your number one purpose in life. You are here, you were created to have a personal relationship with God. God created you simply so he could set his love upon you and bring you into his fullness, his family for all eternity. This coming Wednesday, I'm gonna be speaking again on intimacy with God. What does that look like? God's crazy about you. God is crazy in love with you. We're gonna talk about what that looks like. How does that manifest itself? 
He has set his love, his affection upon you. That is the sole purpose for why you exist. God fully knows you. Fully. The good, the bad, the ugly. He knows, he sees it all. And in spite of that, he loves you unconditionally. And he wants you to know him. And he wants you to experience his love in such a way that the love you're receiving from the Father would be the very love you would channel back to him and to others. Colossians 2 says it this way, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. See, when Christ died, that was the cutting away of your sinful nature. And then he says, Paul says, and he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record, the debt that changed or contained the charges against us. He took it, destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. For some of you, this may be the best Christmas present you get this year. Your sins, everything you have done wrong, from the smallest infraction to the greatest violation, was forgiven by God. It was cleansed. It was wiped away. It was forgotten. It was thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Uh, Scripture says that your sin was cast as far as the east is from the west, and that is an infinity. God took the record that chronicled in great detail every sin you've ever committed and he completely destroyed it he completely abolished it by nailing it to the cross of Christ that's what happens when you put your faith and trust in this Jesus the wonderful the miraculous as your lord and savior because of your sins you were dead paul says in your relationship to god but because of the cross of christ and the debt that was canceled God forgave you of all of your sins and then he just made you alive. He shares the resurrection life with you. And every time you look at the cross, it's a reminder, it is a declaration of how deeply and how greatly you are loved. No matter how numerous or evil your sins are, God is willing, he is ready, he is able to forgive you and to cancel the death penalty because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I. And when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you ask God to just forgive you of your sins, God takes it all and he just destroys it. See, when we understand the tremendous, and again, the awesome power of the cross and what Jesus accomplished on our our behalf by going to the cross, we realize there is no sin. No matter how great it is in your mind, no matter how numerous they may be, no matter what that sin is, it will never, ever, ever exceed the power of the cross or the power of Jesus' blood to forgive and to cleanse you. Ephesians 1, 7 says, God is so rich in kindness 
that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sins are forgiven. God is so rich. He abounds in kindness. Again, please notice the focus, the motivation on this verse. It is on, the emphasis is on the kindness of God and not the depravity of your sin. When we look to the cross of Christ, the freedom and the forgiveness it has purchased for us, God wants us to see. He wants us to experience. He wants us to know firsthand his kindness and his mercy so that we can focus on his goodness, on his love, his grace, and his righteousness because those are always going to be so much greater and so much more powerful than your sins. The results of God's unchanging plan. Let me just cut to the chase here. Romans 5.11. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful, miraculous, new relationship with God. All because of what you have done. No. All because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making you and me friends of God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that worth celebrating? Let's stand and do that this morning then. We're gonna close in worship this morning and again, communion, it is just again a confirmation this morning of what Jesus did in the breaking of his body when his body was broken he said this is my body broken for you every time you do this do it in remembrance of me when he was finished he took that cup he lifted it up he gave thanks to God and he said drink from this all of you for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin every time you do this Jesus said do it in remembrance of me what are we remembering his body was broken his blood was shed so that you could become a friend of God, that you could receive the fullness of God this morning. I'll just tell you what, if you're here this morning and you are in need of the miraculous, you are in need of the wonder, you have come to the right place this morning. And we just invite you this morning. God sees your heart. He knows your need this morning. And I'm just gonna ask that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would overshadow us as it overshadowed Mary, that we would hear the declaration that Mary heard because it's just as true of her, uh, uh, it's true of us as it was of her, and the angel there said, you have found favor with God. Folks, you have found favor with God, not because of anything that you have done, but because of his broken body, his shed blood, all that he has done to make you friends of God. You have favor with God this morning. And it's in that position, that that sense of gratitude, gratefulness, that we have the favor of God, that we come and we begin to receive and we begin to benefit from that name, wonderful, miraculous. Father, we just thank you this morning for your power, your presence here this morning. And Father, we just release the power, the presence, the wonderful, the miraculous, the signs, the wonders. Father, we just release them into this place this morning. God, you know every heart, you know every life. God, you see it all. 
And in spite of all of that, God, you still choose to love us. You still choose to call us friends. You choose, God, to just again display the fullness of your wonder of your love, your grace, your favor upon us. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, that where there is need this morning, God, if that is a need for healing this morning, Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you would manifest. God, if there is financial need here this morning, God, that you would manifest. God, if there are broken relationships here, troubled marriages, God, begin to manifest. God, if there are rebellious uh, sons and daughters, Father, just begin to manifest in this place. That we, like those disciples of John, can leave this place and begin to go and to report what we have seen and heard here. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.